Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we're going to go deep into the world of 21 Pilots, one of the biggest bands in the world. We're also going to talk about new music from Francis in the Lights. Could be looking at you. And that was a little bit of Friends by Francis and the Lights with Bonnie Vare and Kanye West. I'm here with Hank Steamer for our What We're Listening To segment. What's up, Hank? How's it going, Nathan? Hank is the music editor at Rollingstone.com. Hank, this was your pick. You're a Francis in the Lights fan. I think you said you're, you were a longtime enthusiast. Yeah, I, I, I would call myself that. I think, I think myself and a lot of other people have been sort of waiting for Francis to kind of bubble up into the mainstream. He's, he's had a long gestation period. He's really been doing things since like 2007 or 2008. And that is a long gestation yeah, period. Yeah, especially, so, especially in the pop world. So he's primarily a producer. Can you tell me a little bit about yeah, Francis his is, history? Francis is, uh, I mean, I guess I'd call him a singer-songwriter. I mean, as early as like 2007, 2008, he was putting out these EPs of this really interesting kind of like pop soul music, very piano-based. He used to post videos of himself online practicing the piano late at night. And, you know, from the start, he was very eccentric. He would put on these amazing shows where he would, um, he's an amazing dancer, and he kind of has his own style of very, like, spastic, unusual moves. The video for Friends shows that yeah. off on, you, you can check it out. Right, yeah. so, so the, the Friends video, he's kind of, like, harking back to some of these videos that he was doing in his early stuff, where it's him alone in a very spare studio, and it's, like, beautifully art-directed, and sometimes, like, there's one he filmed where there's these, these lights around him that come crashing down at the end of the video. The interesting thing about him is I think before he was kind of heading towards actual stardom, he was almost treating himself like a star. He was behaving that way. You know, he was coming up with the dance moves and the visual aesthetic and everything, even though he was like playing small clubs in New York and have a very devoted following there. But he, he wasn't quite breaking through. And it's weird because as early as like 2010, he actually wrote a song on Thank Me Later, Drake's album from that year called Karaoke, which is a, a really awesome song sure. that he produced. But Drake sings it on that. And Francis would sometimes do that song live. I Was that pretty much his big break, or was there something else that got him noticed? Outside? Well, he was also he also had a shout out from Kanye even earlier in that he covered "Can't Tell Me Nothing," I believe in '08, and Kanye shouted it out on his blog. So there were these moments where he would have these brushes with people. He also toured with MGMT, with Kesha, played shows with Drake. So it was around like 2010, 2011. It seemed like the moment was there, and he put out this incredible album called "It'll Be Better" in 2010. It's just a marvelous, like, modern pop album. It's just, it's just a fantastic record. And I think that people who were watching him were kind of like, okay, well, this is it. This is the time for him. Like, these are amazing songs, and he's got all the right connections. And for whatever reason, he's just kind of, like, laying low since then. He put out an EP in 2013 that's also really good, but it was just four songs. And people have been kind of waiting, like, when is the Francis moment? And So are we here now? Is this the Francis well, moment? Well, something's happening, you know, because in, in the past couple months, uh, he's got this single Friends, which which, you know, as we said, it, it has Justin Vernon from Bon Iver, who's a buddy of his. He's played that Eau Claire festival this year and I believe last year as well. Which is Bon Iver's festival in the middle of the woods in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. right. Wrong, remember, there's a station playing rock and roll. So stay tuned in, stay tuned in. I will turn around. 
There's been talk of Francis kind of like holing up at, at Justin Vernon's house to write and kind of seclude himself. And Kanye is, is in the video for this Friends. It's kind of unclear what he does in the actual track itself, but he's in that video. He's curating. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he, he's obviously his stamp of approval is on it. But the other interesting thing is that he's also on the Chance the Rapper album. There's a track called Summer Friends. And, um, what, and what is the Friends theme? I'm not going to add you to it. You know, it's, it, it's, I'm not really sure other, right. than, other than the word and the general theme of friendship. It's kind of an odd thing. Like Some, Summer Friends is a very sweet song, it, the song from the Chance the Rapper it record. It, and, and also like Friends kind of Bunny Bearish too. Yeah, exactly. But, but see, the thing is that, that those songs, in a way, they sound like what Francis was already doing back in 07, 08. You know what I mean? I mean, so, right. so, so it's kind of unclear who's influencing whom right. in this scenario because Francis has kind of been there all along. And, and he also turns up on the Frank Ocean record. I can't remember the track, but there's one where this there's this vocal effect that Francis has sort of like pioneered. Right. The kind of swoosh. Maybe yeah. we can play a little bit of it. I'm not quite clear on the legality of this thing, but apparently he has this thing uh, like patented. It's called the <laughs> it's called the prismizer. I did not know that. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so there's this thing that you like people have been kind of like shouting out Francis as the guy to go to for this prismizer thing, and you can you can hear. And this is actually the vocal effect, or this is the just the audio. No, it's an actual electronic effect, of, right? Like like, okay. like it's sort of like an auto tune thing, but it, it's it's a more like kind of complex, subtle version of auto tune. And, and Chance the Rapper was on uh, Good Morning America like a few weeks ago, and Francis was there behind him performing, and it's kind of like a vocoder thing where he's singing and then manipulating it with a keyboard, and you you can hear the effect on that, and also. And um, every time it got played, like a little prismizer TM thing came up on <laughs> Good Morning America. It, it, it wasn't right. quite that, but people are, you know, really shouting him out. Chance was, I think, Chance talked to Zane Lowe about about that song and kind of shouted at this prismizer thing. And there's word that Kanye is going to be using it too, and apparently it's going to be on the upcoming Bon Iver record. So Francis is kind of like this weird figure, kind of connecting all the major players in this world of 2016 pop. But the question is, it's like. When is a Francis album? What's in it for him? Well, yeah, right. or, or just like when so, is he going to be, you know, in the spotlight right. more than just someone kind of like as a guest? Even do you, though, do you know anything about a Francis record coming? Well, there's there's talk of it. There was a point I think uh, even like last year where he he tweeted a track list and then quickly deleted it. So it's kind of like a question of when it's coming. He's sort of been kind of eccentric and reclusive, not super into interviews. Everything he's put out has been extremely high quality. Like, you know, a couple of EPs, this one record, I think he's kind of like one of those artists that's worth waiting for. And it's nice to see that in such like a fast-paced world of, you know, 2016. He's actually had 10 years to kind of get this yeah, together. Yeah, and like yeah. he's been able to move at his own pace and then also have kind of this weird quasi-breakthrough. I right. think right, I think now is like the quasi-breakthrough and then when the album comes, maybe, who knows, next year or something, he might actually be like a star in his own right. Right. You know. Well, Hank, thanks for coming on to talk about Francis and the Lights. Uh, the song Friends is out now. You can hear it on YouTube or any other reputable service. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So we'll keep an eye out for, for more Francis activity. All right. And that was a little bit of Ride by 21 Pilots, who currently have two hits in the top five. I'm here with Andy Green. He's going to break it down for us. Yeah, they have two hits in the top five in the Billboard Hot 100. They're the third rock act to ever do that following Elvis Presley and the Beatles. Holy smokes. Which is pretty insane. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, you could basically argue they're the biggest new rock band in the past five years more maybe 
it's I, sort of it's been undercovered by the press, but they've really just had a crazy, crazy huge year. We're gonna remedy that today. Yes, that we level are. of undercoverage because yeah. I am here with Andy who Andy, you you talked of twenty one pilots. I think you wrote basically the best feature on 21 Pilots out there oh, thank you. in existence. Thank you very much. It was earlier this year. It came out uh, in a January issue, and it's on rollingstone.com for yes. anybody who wants to check it out, and I encourage them to do so. You visited them in their hometown of Columbus, Ohio. You got to the bottom of this band. First of all, let's just start at the beginning. Tell me who these guys are and like kind of what their basic deal is. Sure. It's a two-man band. It's these two Ohio kids that are both from Columbus, a pretty small town. They live in the suburbs. They come from really non-music backgrounds. And neither of them play guitar or even know how to. You know, it's a drummer and a singer. And the singer, Tyler... So what makes them a rock band? Well, I'll explain. I mean, he plays the piano. He plays the bass. He plays ukulele. He raps. And the drummer both drums and triggers pre-recorded backing cues. And it's a pretty big sound for two people. And because they sort of, because they're self-taught in so many ways, they didn't realize they're breaking all of these musical rules and just blurring boundary lines everywhere. So he often speed raps and then plays ukulele and then plays a piano ballad. And then it becomes... Perhaps the yeah. highest paid ukulele player in the, in the world at yes, this moment. Yes, basically, basically. And they've had monster hits, and they're playing arenas, they're headlining festivals, and I saw them at the Garden, and it was the second of two sold-out nights. The whole place was vibrating the whole night. Super young fan base, super young yeah. audience, and the live shows are pretty, really, as you said, like, really jumping and known for their live shows. Yeah, and I think part of the reason it's worked so well is because Tyler's lyrics are very confessional. He talks a lot about his own insecurities, his fears and everything, his doubts, and I think a lot of young people, they can really connect to it. Today, we're going to take some of this audio from your feature and kind of do a little uh, tour of 21 Pilots World, and including a lot of uh, kind of interesting quotes from Tyler and Josh. Well, let's start with a little snippet from what you were walking around yeah, with Tyler. They and- took me to a bunch of the clubs they played in Columbus. This is us at the Newport Music Hall. It's a really large theater on the campus of Ohio State, or big club, I guess. And they sold it out as an unsigned band, which is almost unheard of. So we were walking around, and this part here, they're sort of giving me background about first playing here as a small band when it was empty and how they got bigger and bigger as they kept playing. Shall we walk around a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Play someone? First time we played, people were probably here. Uh huh. Some people in the balcony, some people. Next time we played, I remember people, I remember thinking, they're all the way to the steps. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Just and the next bigger. time it was like, I can't see the back steps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it was like a big moment. Yeah, this is, uh, so, this is it. Go on I'm, stage. Yeah, sure. Load, we load in the back. That first load is that you do yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, at this point, <laughs> we're, just, we're, still, we're still doing the hoodie load it and put our stuff when on stage. We, when we sold, sold out, we were Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that didn't feel right at all. That what? was probably the first time I was like, this feels like weird. Is yeah. when, when, this, this whole place was filled up. Probably like the third or fourth time we played it, it was filled up. And Josh and I are out there like this. 
look at each other like. <laughs> yeah. People like yeah, trying not, not trying not to look at like. Hold on, we're not we're yeah, not done yeah. yet. I gotta get my stool. Yeah. <laughs> Josh is setting up all the drum. It's cool. One thing he talked to you a lot about that I didn't know about with him or Josh was their strict childhood and uh, how he was homeschooled and what kind of parents his parents were. Yeah, this is sort of interesting because in this part here, Tyler tells me that his mom told him he had to make 500 basketball shots a night or he couldn't have dinner. Which is bananas. Which is bananas and was in the story because he, you can hear him tell it to me here, but she went on Instagram and fully denied it. <laughs> all right, wait. Let's, all right, let's hear what he had to say about okay. it first. She was tough in less sounds. She made me work hard every day. You know, I, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really make an allowance. A lot. Of, I remember there was really no allowance. There was uh, just the concept of hard work is something that you just need needed to do every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to, I had goals set that I had to reach every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd make 500 shots every day, and, I, and when my mom wasn't looking, I'd get up closer to the basket and yeah. do layups and count them, and she would be out the back window at the kitchen, she'd knock, point at 3.1, I'd have to go to the back and shoot for wow. longer. So, like, 500 <laughs> is a real lot. To... No, it took it took about an hour and a half every day. And you were how old when you started doing that? Probably like six. Okay, I might be with... Tyler's mom here because making 500 baskets when you're six years it old would probably take what, you longer than an hour and a half. It absolutely would. It seems insane. I imagine it didn't happen. He was sort of messing with me. In defense of it being possibly true, his whole family was a basketball-obsessed family. His father taught at a school. Tyler played basketball all throughout high school. He was offered a big scholarship that he turned down. It's a His brother plays basketball. It's Basketball is a family's obsession. So maybe he was exaggerating a bit, but the the, yes. the cord nugget was true. Possibly. Okay. Uh, Josh Dunn, the drummer, um, also talked to you about kind of how strict his parents right. were. Yeah, Josh's family was much stricter than Tyler's even. And here we talk about growing up in a household that banned video games and most kinds of music. They were pretty strict, so I I was never allowed to play video games. I and music was actually the biggest factor. Like they were they were real conservative about what I listened to and and you know looking back I was the first kid and so I think they're they were really they were really trying their best I mean, yeah really... I mean as as oldest kids like we always talk about how our parents raised the the fourth one's much different than the first so one. much different yeah. so yeah, it was like rock band in the house where you're not allowed to buy rock albums or like what did uh, no I, I wasn't really allowed to listen to kind of like rock music so when I tell you you know when I tell you that I went to the skated to the local music shop those were cds i was bringing home and hiding like under the mattress or under you know in a dresser drawer or something like tell me some albums that you'd buy and hide back then like uh any of the green day albums that i had all the blink albums i they knew of like blink i think there was like some you know some of the like dr dre and eminem stuff that i went through that phase and they for sure hated that but it's just so like what sort of music did they approve you listening to um, jazz. <laughs> jazz. No, yeah, jazz for sure. Um, <clears throat> I think my dad, my my dad would do a lot of research on both music and movies, and he kind of would try and figure out what it is that I liked, and then he would try and go online and do research on like what are some some bands that are similar, but their their content is not isn't like so know, like who so like what kind of bands did he approve of? um like uh i remember the first the first alt like alternative cd that he um gave me was like kind of like right in that like time frame where um 
there was a bunch of arguments and stuff. So he didn't even give it to me himself. He he put it like on my bed. He got it from the library, and it was a Reliant K album because uh, <laughs> they were kind of like the the kind of like. You put it on your bed. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. Yeah, because he, he'd probably be an argument or a fight or something. That's so funny. And I ended up loving that album. Yeah. Um, and my, so my dad got me into Reliant K. Actually. Yeah, that's awesome. But and so, what kind of movies did he approve of then? So there was a there was um, for a really short time there was a like a company um, called Clean Flicks, uh-huh. which is basically taking movies that are. Um, PG-13 or R-rated, uh-huh. and they went through and they would replace all the swear words with different words and just remove scenes entirely. And it was uh-huh. an absolutely awful experience watching those movies. Suck so, my hamburger! <laughs> so, like, what movie did you watch that was really censored? Oh, that's a good watch? question. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, one that I watched that was censored. Um... I think like maybe one of the Terminator movies or something. Wow, that'd be hard to to have family approve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah they would have like movies that weren't that like that were definitely not meant to be like a great movie. And, and but then I they, imagine by doing all this, it it just made the music more enticing, right? I mean, it like, did. It actually did. It like when I wasn't allowed to listen to certain things, that you know, I I probably every night of high school I fell asleep you know, listening to music in my, you know, I'd have, I'd put on headphones and, and then I'd have like some drumsticks in, in my bed and then I'd lay and hit my legs with the drumsticks and like try and figure out what, yeah. you know, what so drums you, So were. you literally hide like, a, like an album by like Green Day or something. Yeah, I would hide like, like Dookie or, you know, whatever that, yeah, I'd hide a bunch of like different albums. And then sometimes they, you know, sometimes they would end up finding them and Get really mad. <laughs> right, it's like having porn or something. Yeah, I mean that was yeah. yeah porn is fine. Yeah, porn is fine. All right, so Josh ended up fine, but a lot of their music deals with like insecurities, and I, I think actually this kind of gets at like part of their appeal. I mean, like a lot of successful music that teens like really gets at this kind of like teen questioning thing, right? Um, and and they really a lot of their songs are about kind of just like, right. kind of deep insecurities, and their breakthrough song was stressed out which is really just a generational anthem of growing up and facing all the pressure of having to make money and no longer being a kid. And the hook goes, my name is Blurry Face and I care what you think. I was told when I get older all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. Here's uh, Tyler talking to you about that song and him first hearing it on the radio. One of the first times that I heard the song on the radio, I was driving from my house to my parents' house here in Ohio, and uh, I heard the song, and the first thing I did was I, I called um, the guy that we uh, helped produce the song, his name was Mike Elizondo, really cool guy, um, and when, when we came to him with the song, one of the things that he brought up, which he very, like, made sense that he did, he brought up the lyric, my name's Blurry Face and I care what you think, that's in the, kind of the pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. And he said, what does that mean? Like, what, is that the final lyric? Like, is it, because all the songs we go to producers with are completely flushed out and completed. We just kind of need them to help us bring it to life. So at that point he was asking, you know, what does that, that lyric mean? And I thought about it for a while. Like, yeah, I guess it doesn't really make sense to someone who just casually listens to that lyric um, or hears it on the radio as they you know, drive to work or something like that. Um, but I told him, I was like, you know, it, it's it's the story behind the record. 
you know, the, the album's going to be called Blurry Face. There will be this kind of uh, ground that we've set with our fans that, that know what that will mean. And that's enough for me, like, right. for, for just the people who who have been around listening to us. <laughs> For them to understand is, is enough. So he kind of, we all kind of took a risk on like that lyric even being in a song, and then for us to go, yeah, let's. This song should be a single. It's just a weird lyric to hear um, without knowing the context, which I like. I like that it kind of maybe throws some people off a little right. bit. So. so tell me about the origin of the blurry face concept and how that came to you, this character. Well, I think that. Um, I think I put this. Well, the concept of insecurity is is one that we all know that we have. We all as it's a as humans, we all we all know what we're insecure about. Like I know exactly what I don't like about myself. You know, I uh, just when I was doing photos, I was taking a branch and covering my face. I don't love the way I look. No one no one truly loves the way they look, and if they do, then I don't want to be that person's friend. But so we all know what we're insecure about. But the question I had as I was writing. And some stuff that I was going through was how are these insecurities affecting the way I live? How am I compensating for them? Because I don't like this about myself, what do I do to cover it up? And a lot of those things you do to cover up insecurities can be just as harmful for you as anything else. And so just the whole concept of insecurity for me, it helped me understand my insecurities um, and why I have them and how I compensate for them. And when I kind of gave it a name, seat at the table I could stare at and really kind of analyze from that perspective and from then kind of came this character Blurry Face and you know Josh and I being just a couple of guys in a band just two people <coughs> you know we play shows in front of big audiences now where right before we go on we just we wonder if this is even good enough like is there enough people on stage is this interesting enough is the music good enough? Is this a joke? Is this, you know, so there's a lot of doubt that goes on, especially in playing live music and getting in front of that many people. And so in the same way that it was a very internal concept for me to conquer writing this record, it was also something that Josh and I get to relive every day as we take the stage and, and, and kind of uh, more times than not have to be encouragement to each other that like we're good enough. Like we should be up here right now. And you know, when you when you watch us perform, I think it it comes across like if anything, we're a little overconfident, or it just it maybe doesn't strike certain people that that we would struggle with that. But that truly is a, a thing where there's certain there's certain shows where I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even be able to do what I what I do on stage if I didn't if I wasn't playing next to Josh, you know, so it's, we really lean on each other, being only two people, mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that, because it's a, it's something to conquer each show, it's not just a emotion that we do anymore. One of the other really remarkable things about this band is just like, you know, how they're kind of unclassifiable, kind of like, what are they? I would say a lot of their music is pretty straightforward, just like pop rock, you know, they're definitely influences, some of their stuff is like dance influences, some of it mm -hmm. definitely has a lot of hip-hop. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretty straightforward pop. But the way they get there, as you said before, is like pretty interesting. They have like all these two people, drum samples, ukulele, oh. no, like a very unconventional configuration. Yeah, it's crazy. 
And so I think it all works, but uh, in this part we're about to play, I asked them about sort of the genre question of like, what are you? And this is a question they've had to deal with a lot over their career. So this is yes. Tyler talking about it. Yes. You like a lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times when people bring up the you know genre thing, I've just kind of played off of them saying, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Uh-huh. But, you know, recently I've been thinking – you know what, I'm going to stop saying that because it does make sense to me. You know, it, it yeah. does feel like it, it fits together. It, it, it seems like a, a one body of work. We, we made it. It's not yeah. like you, you hear it described and it sounds very unappealing. Yeah, when, I, when, they call, when, they, when they call it schizo pop or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a, a local writer that wrote said that once and yeah. we didn't really know what that meant at all. So. Yeah. It, it, it sounds almost like derogatory or something. Yeah, and that's not really the intention at all. It's, yeah. it's just a, we, 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 we thrived in, a, in an environment that we played so many bills, you know, with different bands, and we, we kind of picked what we liked from each scene and each mm-hmm. genre. And, um, we also didn't have anyone telling us what was right and wrong, you know, right. whether it's the song structure, the songs themselves, or even how to put on a show. We just knew we wanted to do something that people would remember I guess right so. but to mix ukulele with rap and everything I mean it's a really unique great fusion it really is <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. never it was never hey I want to be a rapper that plays the uke it was yeah. I'm going to learn the uke because the guitar hurts my hands uh-huh. and I'm going to rap because I wrote poetry and there's way too many words so I have to just say it faster and so it, it just uh, instead of seeing those things as it's roadblocks. I don't like the guitar, or it hurts, or I'm not good enough to play guitar, so I shouldn't play any stringed instrument. Or I wrote too many words, so I should just scrap that poem and, and start fresh. It was just a kind of a uh, just a detour, and uh, we weren't afraid to do that. And we're going to end with a stretch that I thought was really funny, kind of, it, which gets at some of the, like, the intensity of their fans. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of fan fiction about yeah. them. In this part, I was talking to the guys about their faith, and it was getting a bit serious, so I decided to just flip it and bring up this fan fiction element of their career, which is a huge phenomenon on the internet that's also has not gotten a lot of coverage from the press, but... You can really hear the relief in their voice because you're asking them lots of uncomfortable questions about how, you know, what their current state of their faith is. And they grew up in these evangelical homes. And then you start asking them about fan fiction. They're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, they were were really happy to be talking about fan fiction, not about their spirituality. Uh, But I went on this website and there's thousands and thousands of fan fiction articles where these young fans just imagine them as werewolves or zombies or vampires and... They're crazy. There's so many of them. And a bunch of them are oddly sexual. You know, it's the same thing in the Star Trek world. There's all these sexual stories about Spock and Kirk. It was the same thing here. Just like two men that are close friends that becomes this sexual thing in many of these stories. So I brought that up. It's just a lot of fans working through a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's true. I was reading fan fiction about you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Completely completely shifted. Most serious, most unserious. Wow, dude, that is awesome. Yeah, I was trying to flip it, flip it. It got too serious. Um, I think. I mean, I I was sort of amazed by how many there were. There were there were over two thousand on 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 one site now. Yeah, it's past two thousand. What site were you looking at, dude? Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I checked the first day, it was like 1988, and I went back the next day, it was past 2000. So, wow. yeah. what, what, what website was it? 
like open archive something. I don't know. If you just Google Twilight Pilots, you know, in life and fiction is the first thing. Jeez. So there's two thousand, and some of them. I mean, I was laughing to the point I almost like passed out at one point. Um, <laughs> like, like, there's so many ones I loved. The one I was laughing the hardest probably. You wake up one morning. You're in like the woods. You're you have forgotten the previous night, but there's blood on your hands and a deer carcass by you, and you realize that you're a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this whole vampire story. That's <laughs> And they're amazing. all about Josh, apparently. Yeah, well, I'm, at least I'm Pokemon, I'm vampire. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can, yeah, I'm multi-talented. Yeah. As long as they're working on their writing craft. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what, I, um, there was, like, one day that I kind of, like, looked into that a little bit, and... I had to stop. I just had to stop after like ten minutes because it was just like, just weird. If you go down the rabbit hole, there's yeah. there's just people are creative. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And they often get sexual in a really weird. Yeah, way. yeah. And that's you know, I guess just being like completely like candid about how I feel about that. I think it's like really interesting, but at the same time. If I were to sit there and read that for long enough, that yeah. would change. I think that would change like our friendship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like fantasy stuff, like it's it exists for a reason. And there's like, um, and I don't mean that just like sexual, right. but like Star Wars and you know the Lord of the Rings takes you to this kind of like world that doesn't exist but y you feel like it exists mm -hmm. and uh and so when you start reading stuff about yourself that's not true <laughs> right. it does something kind of weird to your mind in a way yeah. you know Absolutely. so yeah so i don't look at it anymore yeah yeah i mean they call you guys joshler at times the, the name for <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah that's a whole genre the joshler genre i personally yeah. think it should be teish teish <laughs> <laughs> But what was interesting was one at the top said, you know, I've been struggling myself with a lot of trans of transgender issues, so I wrote this story to like to ref to get out my frustration with it and my sort of pain. And it was mm. about you guys, but it was, it was more about the, it was more a about the writer. Mm. So I think it's sort of interesting that your fans kind of use you as vessels to get to their own issues at times. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's ultimately what we get to do on stage every night. Mm -hmm. Kind of work through something. You know, for me as a songwriter, I I throw away songs constantly, but I needed to get that one out to get to the next place, whether it's a different or better song or just waking up the next day and mm -hmm. feeling better about what's going on in my life or who I am. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that creativity and art in all its forms mm -hmm. is very uh, powerful mm -hmm. and help you with that. That's something we... We've learned firsthand, for sure. And so that was our little tour through the world of 21 Pilots, one of the biggest bands in the world, perhaps the biggest band in the world in 2016, on a pop level. And on a pop level and on a ticket sales level, they played every arena in the country now, often multiple nights. They're all sold out. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Andy Green, thanks for coming on. No problem. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, leave a review at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.